This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture this morning is in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. We'll be reading Luke 6, 12 to 16. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's pray together. Lord, you are a great and awesome God. We want to recognize just how great and just how wonderful you are as we come before you this morning. Lord, it's a privilege that we get to gather like this as your people every week to worship you. It's a privilege that we get to gather around your word uh, to be fed, to be sharpened, to be convicted, and to be grown. Lord, the fact that you would condescend to the point to have relationship with us, who, as we've already heard, are so unworthy, yet you have shown us so much grace in Christ. God, what a privilege it is to be here this morning and to worship you. So, Lord, we thank you for that, and we don't want to approach you lightly, but we want to approach you recognizing who you are, the creator of all, the God who has made the way through Christ Jesus for us to come to you. With all of our thoughts, with all of our needs, with all of our worries and all of our cares, Lord, even though you are so great and so awesome, you care for us so much. So we want to bring those cares before you this morning because there are many. Or there are so many in our congregation or connected with our congregation, family members who are sick, who are uh, dying, who are struggling with, uh, with difficult things in life. So, Lord, we bring all of those to you, no matter the situation, from things that are relatively minor to to things that are very serious. Lord, we know that you care deeply for all of them. You know how much they hurt. You know how much pain there is in this world that's full of sin and struggle. But, Lord, we have hope in you, knowing that you are the God who cares for us, knowing that you are the God who's near to us in the midst of that struggle. So God, for each one of those families who is struggling, who is hurting, we pray for your peace, for your comfort, for the reminder this morning that you are who you are. You are who your word says you are. So Lord, I pray that there would be an overwhelming sense of peace and joy in your people. Whether things right now for us as individuals are good or bad, or difficult, or confusing, whatever situation we find ourselves in this morning, Lord, you stay the same. So help us to find comfort in that, help us to find peace in that, and help us to be able to rejoice in that. Lord, we pray for the remainder of this morning as we're here, as we said, gathered around your word to learn from you, to be changed by you, to be convicted. We know that you're faithful to work through the preaching of your word. So we trust you and ask you that you would change our hearts this morning, that you would apply the word as it's preached to our hearts, 
that you would make us fully aware, fully awake. Help us to listen intently to the word. Lord, I pray that we would be blessed by you this morning, but I pray that you would be glorified and exalted in how uh, your word is preached and how we respond to you this morning. Lord, thank you that we know that we can come to you trusting that you will do these things. So I pray that you would uh, be with Pastor Aaron this morning as he preaches. I pray that he would say exactly those words that you have planned for him to say that we need to hear this morning. We trust you and we praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, First Prize. You know, one of the most exciting things for me is watching when people come back, that battle of where do I sit? It's truly, it's just funny to watch your faces as you come in and you kind of survey the sanctuary and your, maybe your favorite seat that you've had here for years is either one of those rows that we currently aren't using or somebody else is in your seat. And so there's this look of panic upon your face. Where do I do? Where do I, where do I go? Right? Decisions. Decisions are tough. In, in fact, uh, decisions at times can be overwhelming. And if we're absolutely honest, at times making decisions can paralyze us. Things like which school to go to, which college uh, maybe to select, which career to pursue, who to marry, which house to buy, deciding if you should change jobs, deciding if you should move, selecting which treatment for cancer you should pursue, coming to the decision of when to retire. These are all real decisions. In fact, we would say those are some of the major decisions each of us faces in life. And the truth is, making decisions can be overwhelming. Let me say this, as a pastor, I've discovered very quickly in my call that when people are making decisions is usually when they pick up the phone and call you. It's usually in that period of time that they say, Pastor, I need to to meet with you. I'm trying to wrestle through some things, and I just want to get your perspective. Interesting enough, in Christ, we're given clear direction on how we should go about making decisions, and we see it right here in our text this morning in Luke chapter 6. See, in our text this morning, we see specifically Christ making a decision about whom he would select as his apostles, as his sent out ones. And to understand that these would be individuals who would preach. These would be individuals who would have authority over demons. These would be the individuals that eventually would lead the church. So you can imagine that these were major decisions for our Lord. So how did Jesus go about making such decisions? The first thing we see in our text is that Jesus intentionally sought God's will. You say, well, hold on a second. That's not really a big deal because Jesus is God after all. And that's true. Jesus is God, but oftentimes in our understanding we forget Jesus took on human flesh. That's one person in two natures. 
He was 100% God, but he was equally 100% man. And in his, huma- in his humanity, being human 100%, he experienced all the same limitations we do. And so by taking on human flesh, he understood our struggle in making decisions. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in, who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One who in every respect. So the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us then draw with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Church, understand this. It was by the incarnation, by Jesus taking on human flesh, that Jesus was able to be our Savior. He was able to be our representative. And therefore, it's true that Jesus in his humanity, seeking to do the Father's will, sought the Father's will. That's why Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Hasn't it ever stumped you when you read that in the text? Well, isn't Jesus God? Yes, but it's in his humanity that he prays, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus understands the struggle of the will, of making decisions. So the Son of God, who knows perfect fellowship with the Father, was making absolutely sure here in the selecting of the twelve that he was pursuing the Father's will. To him, this was a big deal. And so we're not surprised by his actions. In fact, we see that Jesus had preparation processes in place In pursuing God's will, Jesus' ultimate desire was to do that will. So what did he do? The living word of God prayed and he acted. Church, don't miss this. As you're seeking to make decisions for your life, look to Christ. Verse 12 says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. Jesus got away. Jesus went to the prayer closet. It's important we understand that we see this pattern in Jesus' life, that he would get away from the crowds. He would get away from others. He would often do this for the purpose of prayer. Understand that getting away to pray allows us to focus. Being honest, in the busyness of life, we do pray when we're driving, we do pray when we're busy working, but the intentionality of getting away to pray is the focus of our prayer. If we're honest, how desperately each and every one of us needs this. Now, as parents, some of you may be saying, but when? (laughs) When can I get away to pray? And I would remind you, that's why God brought together husbands and wives. So that we can serve each other here, help each other, allow times for each to get away with the Lord, and especially to make time together to come and seek the Lord. But in Jesus, we see the intentionality of getting away to pray. 
But it wasn't just that he went to the mountain to pray. Notice it goes on in verse 12 to say he prayed all night. He continued in prayer all night. He was faithful in prayer. Jesus didn't just throw up a quick bless my decision prayer, Lord, as often many of us do. God, this is what I'm going to do. Bless it. No, he sought God's direction. He wrestled all night in prayer. Now, when I was in college, I was known to pull a few all-nighters. Truth of the matter be, it was often when there was a paper due or there was a test coming the next day. But the reason I had to pull an all-nighter was because I wasn't prepared. I was doing this because of lack of preparation on my part. Not so with Christ. Christ here pulling away to pray, putting together an all-nighter of prayer was not due to lack of preparation, but was a proper preparation in submitting to the will of the Father. Church, don't miss this. It's right that we would go into our prayer closets and we would wrestle. That we would seek God's face in the decisions that we're making. Prayer plays a very important role in the ability to make proper decisions. But it wasn't just that he got away to his prayer closet. It wasn't just that he faithfully prayed throughout the night. No, I believe it was a word-centered prayer. After all, as evangelical Bible-believing Christians, the Bible is our final authority for all we believe and all we do. And yet you stand up and you scream, but where is that in this text, Pastor? Where is the Bible? Where did Jesus go to the Word? I would remind you that Jesus is the very Word of God, according to John 1. So when Jesus prayed, understand it was a word-saturated prayer. That's important that we understand that our prayers are to be word-saturated, which means we need to be in the word. There is nothing richer than praying with a saint who knows the word. There's nothing richer. One of my favorite people to hear pray here was one of our former elders. I love to hear Paul Silvers pray. For when he prayed, he prayed God's word. The truth of the matter should be that every believer is praying God's word. That we're saturated in God's word. But Jesus, being the very word of God, prayed the word-saturated prayers. Remember, this was the whole point of the ministry of Jesus, fulfilling the word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, we read this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That was his desire, that the word would be fulfilled. This is why when you're reading the Gospels, so often you read this line. This was done to fulfill Scripture. Jesus' life was about fulfilling the word of God. Surely his prayers were word-saturated. Jesus prayed the very word of God as he sought the will of God. So church, I would ask this question. 
If it is so important for the word of God, who is the word itself, to pray, how much importance should it be for the disciples to pray the word of God back in the decisions we make? For truly seeking to pursue God's will, it needs to be through word and prayer. Let me read that again. If we're truly seeking, if we're truly seeking to pursue God's will, it needs to be done through word and prayer. So I ask you, so are you? The way you know you're truly seeking the will of God is your adherence to the word and prayer. If you're truly seeking what God's will is, You're going to the word, and that's what you're praying. You're not asking God to come and be part of what you're doing. You're realigning yourself to be part of what God is doing. Church, understand this. God is not silent. He's revealed his will for us in some 66 books. He's called for us to come before him, the throne of grace. He's made a way for our prayers to be heard through Jesus Christ. And he says clearly, if any lacks wisdom, he only needs to ask. So I go back to those opening questions. High schooler, when you're choosing which school to pursue, which career path, who to marry, Young marrieds, when you're making a decision about which house to buy, about which jobs and and careers to pursue, for those of you who are facing obstacles about cancer or illness, which treatment, for those of you who are older and looking about the time for when you should retire, all of these things should be saturated with the word and prayer. Every decision, every move we make should be saturated in word and prayer. For this is the example that Jesus Christ himself set. Church, I draw your attention, that's not all Jesus did. No, clearly, Jesus was intentional in his acting on the Father's will. Did you catch that? Look at our text In verse 13 it says, When day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, who he named apostles. I would draw your attention to, to this fact that two times in our text, we're told that Jesus prayed. And two times, we're told in our text that Jesus acted. Now it's true that far too often, There are those who fail to go to the word, who fail to pray before acting. But others, however, fail to act. For even after reading, even after praying, they never act. Which is you. Do you find yourself to be on the side to to fail to pray, fail to read the word? Do you find yourself... Failing to seek truly what God's desire is? Or are you one of those who knows the word? You've prayed, you've saturated your life, but you fail to act. Fear. Fear controls us, but not Jesus. 
See, Jesus is the perfect man. He's the greater Adam. He does not fail to do the right thing. He is a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so should his disciples be. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We see Jesus' action as he calls his disciples to him and as he calls out 12 for a special ministry. Church, understand, this is a big deal in Jesus' life. Jesus' purpose was to come and to save, to redeem the church. And here he's selecting those who will be ruling the church when his departure comes. This is a big moment, and Jesus gets away to the mountain, and he prays. He prays the very word of God, but he doesn't stop there. He actually acts. He calls his disciples, the greater multitude, together, and he selects 12 names. These individuals will be rulers in the church. The book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, we see a similar scene where Paul is about to leave his loved ones. He's leaving the church of Ephesus saying, I'll probably never see you again. And he gives them departing words. Listen to what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says, elders are called by the Holy Spirit. They're to serve as overseers, to care for the church of God, which is Jesus, because Jesus obtained this church by his own blood. So then he says, therefore, they're to pay careful attention to themselves as well as to the flock. Church, understand that this was a big deal, that in Jesus choosing these apostles, this was a big deal deal and Jesus got away he prayed the very word of God and he acted and yet we look at the names of those whom he selected and as you run your finger over those names one of the things you understand is how very different each of those individuals were in that list was a tax collector someone who sought relationship with Rome In that list was a zealot, someone who violently resisted Rome. In that list were fishermen who were seeking just to survive under Roman rule. As we look at this list of names, we see how very different each and every one of them was regarding their education, regarding their worldview, regarding their personalities. The truth is, we wonder, did Jesus make a mistake? As you look at that list of names, you sometimes wonder, what is God up to? And oftentimes when we're in the word and we're praying and we finally act and things don't go the way we expect, we wonder, what is God up to? Did God make a mistake? Did we make a mistake? What's happened? But friends, I would draw your attention that in acting upon these names, Jesus was trusting in the Father's purpose, even if it didn't make sense. Even when there would be a Peter who would deny him, and a Judas who would betray him. Jesus trusted the Father's plan. He acted. 
acted in confidence. And so should we, church, step out and act in confidence, even when it doesn't make sense. If we've been in the Word, if we've prayed, we are called to act. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 23, the apostle Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Understand, he says, this was God's will. So church, by acting in faith upon the decisions, we are truly to rest in the absolute sovereignty of God. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, not some things, not most things, all things according to the counsel of his will. This should encourage us to come bold as lions, to step out in faith, to act. Too often the church is afraid. Too often we are afraid. Friend, I ask you, do you find yourself paralyzed by decisions? Church, we are encouraged to act in faith, trusting in God's sovereignty. This is not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in our God. And this trust drives out fear. So do you trust him? Do you trust him, not just about your future glory, but do you trust him regarding tomorrow? See, that's the rubber rebeating the road, isn't it? Trusting him not just to get me to heaven, but to care for the details of my life. Whom I'm supposed to marry, which college I'm supposed to go to, which cancer treatment I should receive. Whether or not to buy or sell to move, to retire. It's trusting in the sovereignty of God because we know we are not to be anxious. After all, isn't this what Jesus preached in Matthew 6? Beginning in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then in verse 26, he says, Look around you. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Then Jesus corrects us by asking the question, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of life to your span of life. He reminds us in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, don't miss this. This is the the reminder that Jesus gives when he says, I'm sovereign. I'm ruler over all. Trust me. Seek me. Be in fellowship with me. But act upon my word in confidence. See, church, this is the good news of the gospel in making decisions. This is what makes being a believer so much better than being in the world. Here 
it is. It's that God loves his people. And this should bring encouragement. It should bring strength. It should bring confidence. We are loved by God. And God's in charge. As a child, I remember growing up and thinking that my dad was the strongest man in the world. I trusted him in every regard. But my dad was just human like us. As he got older, I began to see where I had to help him to his bed. I had to help him and care for his ailing body. But ultimately, we do not have an aging heavenly father. We have a perfect heavenly father who's absolutely strong and absolutely knowledgeable and absolutely gracious. We have no reason to be afraid. Dr. R.C. Sproul used to remind us there is not one rogue atom in the entire universe. There is not one rogue atom in the entire universe. God's hand is over all, and his hand is the hand of the Father who loves his children. Trust him, trust his word. Pursue sweet fellowship and act in confidence. See, church, understand this. Let's be very clear. Jesus did not make a mistake in choosing Judas. It was part of the divine plan to save sinners, and this should bring us comfort in the decision-making on our lives. Our redemption, which took place on the cross, was ignited by a betrayer of Jesus, one of his very own chosen apostles, one who was selected following a long night of prayer, one in which the word was seeking to do the will of the Father. Understand, church, the betrayer's actions were used to bring about the greatest act of love we could ever know. The righteous one, Jesus, dying for the unrighteous, us. Therefore, let us gain confidence as we personally seek to do the Father's will, trusting his complete sovereignty, which is rooted in his good and gracious intentions for his people. Church, do you see how the gospel impacts our decision-making? It gives us confidence. It gives us assurance that the heavenly Father is there caring for us. We're not orphans. We're not enemies. We're children. And if we who are earthly know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our heavenly Father know to give good gifts to us? The truth is, for we all who love God and are called according to his purpose are absolutely certain that all things do in fact work together for good, Romans 8, 28. So church, let us seek boldly the will of the Father, always trusting his love for us as he guides us by his word through prayer to truly act in faith. Church, here's the big deal. When you're facing decisions, you should seek to be in the word 
and to pray faithfully. And yes, you should seek to act confidently, always trusting in the gracious sovereignty of our Heavenly Father. So church, if you've sought the word and prayed, I say act. Act in confidence. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Let me say that again. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Church, can you say that? That you truly believe the Lord is your helper and you will not be afraid. That's what it is to make decisions like Christ. That's what it is to truly pursue the will of God. I say this as a pastor who's given probably more instruction upon pursuing the will of God than almost anything else in my ministry. Go to the word, get away and pray, and step out boldly in confidence. For you serve a perfectly loving heavenly father who holds all things in his hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles from these short verses, many of us maybe at the beginning began to wonder, what are we going to preach from just these few verses? But Lord, we see that there is set before us such a high benchmark of what it means to make godly decisions. That if we're truly trying to seek your will, Lord, may we come before you in prayer. Not just the types of prayers, Lord, where we ask you to bless what we're doing, but where we're truly seeking you quietly and humbly, asking you to direct our steps. Lord, may we be in the word. May we, may we truly be in the word so that the word saturates not just our actions, but even the very words of our prayers, the things that we desire, the things that we pursue. And God, I pray that we would act in confidence and that we would step out boldly, trusting in your sovereignty. God, there has been many that have been hindered to act for fear. But Lord, I pray that faith would push away all fear. Faith in the person and work of Christ who's enabled us to have a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that as we come boldly to the throne of grace, that we would see and experience your presence. And Lord, that we may move with confidence. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.